Welcome to the Invested Dads Podcast, simplifying financial topics so that you can take action and make your financial situation better, helping you to understand the current world of financial planning and investments. Here are your hosts, Josh Robb and Austin Wilson. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Invested Dads Podcast, the podcast where we take you on a journey to better your financial future. I'm Austin Wilson, research analyst at Hicks & Zerker Capital Management. And I'm Josh Robb, director of wealth management, also at Hicks & Zerker Capital Management. Austin, how can people help us with this podcast? We would love it if you would subscribe, if you're not subscribed. If you are subscribed, thank you. We publish new episodes every single Thursday, and you subscribing is the best way to make sure that you have them first. And we would also love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please leave us a review. That will help other people find us very easily. So, Josh, today yes. yep. we're going to be talking about, mm-hmm. once again, because we do this a lot, what we're reading. Oh, right. Because we're reading a lot of things all the time. So, why don't you kick us off all with right. your first, first interesting article. Oh, article. I had a book, Fox and Socks Fox by and Dr. Socks. Uh, it's a good tongue Classic. twister book. Oh, no. My first article, obviously, the markets have been very volatile the first half of this year. Wait, really? Yes. Crypto is down more than 50%. <laughs> what if I told you I have a low-risk way to earn 9.5% or more? I'd say you're crazy. I would say I-bonds. I-bonds. Yes. So there is article. Jess's ears are ringing right That's through the right. wall next to us. By the way, all these articles will be linked in our show. They notes. will. I-bonds are a government security. So it has the backing of the U.S. government. So it's considered to be... They, they call it risk-free. You know, it's a compliance person. It's like... Is there, there was, a chance? 2011, there was a chance of default. So you're saying there's a chance. It's, it's considered to be a risk-free investment yep. in general. But the thing that's neat or interesting about I-bonds is that they have an inflation adjustment to them. I uh, meaning inflation. Uh, that's I think what they did. It wasn't that's, like an Apple thing that they were putting on. <laughs> right. But for instance, sales of these I-bonds have been elevated over the last year. In June, the last month I had data for, there was $3.4 billion worth of I-bonds bought. Whoa. That's more than 950% higher than they were a year ago. That's probably because inflation is yes, 950% higher yeah, than it was last year. Yes. You know, obviously, they track it. So how does it work? Um, so an I-bond, you get actually a fixed rate, yep. which is a constant rate. And then on top of that, they give you a variable rate that they set twice a year. And that rises and falls based on inflation. And they, they use consumer price index. So if you were to buy it now, you could earn 9.62% was their last one. That will reset again, I believe, in October. And so anytime you buy it from now until they reset it, you get six months worth of that. Yeah, you're recruiting that. So even if they move it in October, if you bought it the week before they adjusted it, you get six months worth of that interest rate before they adjust it. I bet there are going to be a lot of people doing that. That is because inflation's coming down. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, you were to buy it right now or you know early on when they adjusted that rate, and then inflation went to zero. Not going to happen. Right. And so they readjust the rate, and you're getting a zero percent return because they readjusted it. You would still over the course of that twelve months. Get a four point eight percent return there based on where it's at now. That's pretty crazy. So the real question is, yes. why doesn't everyone buy load millions of things. dollars yes. of this? So first one is that they have restrictions on the amount you can purchase. So you can buy each person individually can buy ten thousand dollars worth of I bonds per calendar year. So like a married couple can buy twenty. Each can buy it, and it's per calendar year. You have to buy it directly from 
the government. They have a website set up for it. We'll get to that in just a second. And then you can also, if you get a tax refund, use up to an additional $5,000 of your refund to buy. So you get $15,000 total right there. Uh, now it's per person. There are some caveats. You can have some trusts and things by it as well, but in general, per person, but includes kids. There's no income restriction. It's not like a Roth where you have to have earned income yeah. or anything. So you, know, you could buy it for other people as well. The other thing is there's some restrictions on it on the other end. So you must hold it for one year, all right? There's, yep. there's one year minimum holding. Then after that, if you sell before five years, you have to give up the last three months of interest. Gotcha. So there's... I want to call it a penalty for selling early. You're giving up interest so they don't lose money on that. You just get less. Yep, you get less. Yep. So those are two reasons why people may not just go all in on it. It's not liquid in the first year. And then after that, there is a short little penalty. Then the last one is you can't really aggregate it with anything else. It's not like if you use a custodian, you can buy these and put it into your account. Right. It has to be through the it's government on and on that site. Yeah. The site is horrible. I think it was created by Al Gore as the first test for, for the internet. website. Yes, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. It's just archaic. It's clunky. It's old. In fact, and I don't think this is a security feature. I think it's just stupidity. You can't type in your password. You have to use your mouse and click the letters and numbers on a keyboard on the screen to type oh your password my. in. Now, maybe that is for security purposes I yeah, don't bots know. Can't do that. I don't know, but it is it is archaic. So that is something to know. But if you're looking for something on some money that you don't plan on using within the first year for sure, but in the next five years, and you think inflation is going to stay yeah. at least elevated, it's going to yield more than your savings account theoretically. Yes, inflation's not probably going to get down to a half a percent, which is about where an average savings yeah, account exactly. is. Exactly. And even those high yields are just about what one point two. So, yep. Theoretically, if you don't need the money. And you can afford to wait that time frame. It's an option. So speaking of archaic. Yes. So my first article, it says, headline from CNBC, linked in the show notes, consumers are shelling out an average $10,000 more for used cars than if prices were quote unquote normal, research shows. So the average price for a used car is $33,341. Ouch. Which is $172 below the peak from March, according to a research firm called Copilot. Nearly new vehicles. So these are used vehicles only mm-hmm. one to three years old. Okay. They have an average listing price that is $13,145 more than it would be if typical depreciation had occurred over the past two years. So it's like cars haven't, the new, nearly new cars really haven't depreciated yes. as far as values go over the last couple of years. High used car prices have pushed the average trade in value above $10,000 for the first time ever. So That's the average trade average in. trade in value. Okay. Dealers so my want junk to car, sell your my, your my junker. Yeah, they want to sell your used car, so they're giving you more money for it because they know they can sell it. They for know they price. can sell it for more money. It's just crazy. By the way, yeah, the average new car price is forty seven thousand and one hundred and some dollars. Wow. But so forty seven, and you said the average used car is thirty three. Yeah. So for an extra fourteen thousand dollars, you could get a brand new car. Well, and the interesting is if you're With a warranty. Would you say forty seven? Yeah. The average nearly new vehicle yeah. is forty two thousand three hundred and fourteen. What, what you Why don't you just out? buy a new yeah. one? Might as well. Yeah, for a couple thousand dollars. And you probably and get, you a get a brand new car with that no one's maybe they'll throw in a little car air freshener or uh, something. Well, for you, you? Yeah. yeah. What a deal. Or yeah. like those big that one dealership does those big shamu inflatables. Have you seen Ooh. that? Oh yeah. 
I don't know how you can afford not to. Yep. So there was a quote from co-pilot CEO and founder Pat Ryan that said, despite signs of a slowing economy, rising interest rates, and high fuel prices, the used car market is holding firm, which is why the near record used car prices are still what we're seeing, even though things are slowing down a little bit. So consumer buying remains strong, at least partly due to spillover demand from the new car market. So that you forcing can't find pe- it. Forcing people over. to buy used. Yep. Supply chain issues is another one. Primarily an ongoing chip shortage have left dealer lots with fewer vehicles to sell. Every time I hear chip shortage, I get a little anxious that they're talking about potato chips. Then I remember it's not. So then I calm down. I know. Because you got to have your chips. (sighs) Yeah. Don't stress me out. What's your favorite chip flavor? Chip flavor? I do the salt and vinegar. Okay. I love the salt and vinegar. Mm. Mm, Those things. I can eat those anytime, any day. Oh, they're so good. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm a salt and pepper guy. Okay. That is good. Like Like a kettle chip. Yeah. Oh, salt and yeah. pepper. Mm-hmm. That's, good. That's my jam. My wife I likes had, the barbecue. Oh, barbecue. My oldest daughter loves those. And sour cream and onion I'll do every once in a while yeah. just to mix it up. I love just plain regular ones with like a chip dip. Oh, like, oh, like uh, a ruffle? Yeah. And then you have it with... Sour cream and onion dip mm-hmm. or whatever, or French mm-hmm. onion dip. Yes. Oh, that's some good stuff yeah. right there. And then they had these chips and it was flavored with... It's like a steak house flavor. That sounds really good. So it reminded me of if you go to a steakhouse and you order fries... And they're on the same plate as your steak, and the juices of the steak absorb into the fry. Oh, and you take yeah. a bite of it, but it's crispy. That's what it was. That's awesome. And it actually was pretty good. That's awesome. I actually enjoyed it a lot. But it's one that you have a weird aftertaste afterwards because it's like need to wash steak. down with something. Yeah. So Back a couple more thoughts chips, on used cars. Little, little that was our chip detour. The amount consumers are paying above normal also yes. depends on the age of the car. This is where I came to that point yes. earlier. Nearly new vehicles, one to three, have an average listing price of $42,314, which is bonkers, which is $13,145. Like I mentioned earlier, more than it would have been on a normal depreciation schedule. By contrast, vehicles that are 8 to 13 years old come with an average price of $18,038 or $5,416, 43% more than the previously forecast depreciated amount. So that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But that category, the 8 to 13 year old range, that's the one that actually has been trending downward for okay. a couple of months. So not the nearly new ones. Mm-hmm. Here's some interesting points, yes. too. So typically, you and I would say, in most cases, especially mm-hmm. when you're buying a vehicle, mm-hmm. the depreciating asset we would recommend, you know, if you can, paying cash is better because it's depreciating. Yes. It's not ideal. Mm-hmm. But most people finance vehicles with yes. loans. So here are some interesting figures. So be prepared for sizable monthly payments. The average monthly payment over 70.3 months, which is a couple months shy of six years, is yeah, around the average. That's crazy. $678 a month. Yeah. Do most people have their car for six years? I don't or know. The average length of owning oh, I don't know. That's a great... Hey, I know. I look at the cars I've had, and I'm past there. But yeah, that is a good question. In general, I wonder what the average length of owning it is. If you huh. still owe, owe money on the car when you're ready to switch it out. Yeah. So that's the average of a new vehicle. Now used vehicle, still over about the 70.8 months. Ooh, yeah. Used vehicle loan, $555. Hmm. So that is just crazy. And interest rates have ticked up. Average new car interest rate, 5%. Average used car loan, 8.2%. Yeah, don't do that. Deep. Don't do that. So, so that's me. That's my number. I'm one. just having a hard time comprehending 45 percent increase in those price, roughly between those two new and used or uh, new newer and older used cars. That's a huge increase in used car prices. Yeah. If you have a car you don't need, you make bank. Oh, absolutely. If you're not replacing it but just getting rid of it, like if oh yeah, if, what if you're like a retired couple that yeah, goes from like, two cars to one yeah, car? That's it. 
This is the time of your life. Or you just say, we can survive for a little while on one car. I know. That's it. I've thought about that with as close as I live to work. I can't make it work, but it's so tempting. Yeah. <laughs> Should have done it in like the early spring when you can have nice weather right. for a handful of months and hope the prices come down by the time winter sets in. Which the clearly they haven't. They have not. So, yeah. well, well, you see. said a little bit. Maybe a little, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. My next article is talking about home building. You track being our research analyst, all the fun different surveys. So sediment. Yep. Is the you sediment know, the, like the stuff like the rocks like the ground, the ground layers? Yep, yep. yep. So home builder sediment, that's the foundation they put everything on, <laughs> is down. Uh, so they must be putting deeper foundations. Oh, you in. must mean sentiment. Sentiment. That's a better word. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Uh, so their opinions, their feelings are down. Uh, and the last reading we got was for July. And so uh, in the article, they're talking about the confidence among builders. So this is not looking at people in the housing market, but the actual workers, the builders that are building new homes. All right. So confidence among builders in the nation's single-family housing market fell in July to the lowest levels since the start of the pandemic. Wow. Which is crazy in that you know we've seen lumber prices go down. It's getting a little bit better for them to build. And the pandemic, obviously, nobody wanted to build because you're stuck uh, right. with everything shut down. So that was interesting to me. And the National Association of Home Builders in Wells Fargo, they do a housing market index. They found that sediment dropped 12 points to 55 and sentiment stood at 80 in July of last year. So we drop. went from 80 to 55. Yeah. That marks the largest single month drop in the 37-year history, with the only exception being April of 2020, when yep. that just fell off the cliff, which I would call an outlier. Right. But if we're the second worst one after that, that's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. So the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage, that you just talked about this, right? Interest rates are going up. It has nearly doubled since January and is now around 6%. For a mortgage, 30-year mortgage. When they did this survey, they also looked at what was going on. And they found that of the new home contracts or existing home contracts that they were building, 14.9, I round up to 15. 14.9% of those contracts fell through in June. In other words, they were canceled. Hmm. So that's causing some problems. And then the price of a newly built home, this is the average price in May was the last one they had these numbers for, was $449,000. Wow. Almost $450,000 is the average price for a new home. Yeah. That's up 15% from a year 15%. ago. 15%. And that's with lumber prices coming down and some of those other things. You know, inflation has really hit them. 13% of the builders that they did in the survey reported that they've been reducing home prices this past month to help limit cancellations and improve their sales. Woo. So the houses they're building and then trying to sell, they're actually lowering those prices to try to get rid of them. Crazy. Um, you know, obviously, we have production bottlenecks, rising building costs, and high inflation. So we're seeing then they're slowing down construction, and we already know there's a shortage. So this is not helping. And so we're going to continue to see higher prices, I think, for a while, in that when you aren't building enough homes to keep up with demand, that's going to be a problem. I know. Crazy. It's all about supply and demand. Yes. All right, Josh. Hit me up. All right. Dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. So my wife and I went on a trip a little while ago. This was pre-COVID. I don't know how many years ago, but we did a trip and uh, it was a cruise. And part of that, we did an excursion and it was swimming with the dolphins. Oh, Pretty fun. I've always wanted Ever done that? Never yeah. done. It's fun. They're intense. Very strong. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of expensive. Yep. But you know what's more expensive? Swimming with sharks. Tell it me It cost why. me an arm and a leg. <laughs> I've always told Jenna, it, I would totally go shark swimming. Like not like big sharks, but yeah. like you go with. There are nurse sharks. Yeah. Nurse sharks. Or, or there They're are nice. tours where like yeah. they go to an area where they know there's a lot of sharks, but 
they don't bother people because there's so much like food mm. yeah. around. So I thought that would be so. Cool. I would do the cage one with a great white. Yeah, I would yeah, do that. Yeah, let's in go. the cage though. Yeah, would, uh, I'm go. not going out, but I'm be, I'll be in the cage. I'm not. Yeah. You know, sharks are sharks are not. They're scary, but they're not the worst things in the world, right? They're up there. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, you look at the statistics of shark attacks versus other things, and right. But if you're actively putting yourself in the middle of them, you know that's that's a whole nother story. Shark bait, shark bait. Ooh ah, good times. Good shark times. week, great time in the year. It is. I actually in saw. July. I haven't watched it, but there was this segment talking about these little sh- these sharks that like go up on beaches, like they're they, like go from they the ocean. Come to on the up yeah. to get you. I don't know what land sharks. They're like I don't know if they like crawl on their bellies or what they do, but real, it's real. Oh man, it's on Shark Week. It has to be real. You're no longer safe. I know. <laughs> Well, it's like those bull sharks that swim up oh, rivers. Up, yeah, that's the crazy thing. That freaks thing. me like, out. Like, I'm at Freshwater. I should be okay. Yeah, you're in Texas nope. in a river. Nope. nope. Bull shark. All right. My second article titled, Americans who can't afford homes are moving to Europe instead. Yep. On my way. So this is a Bloomberg article. So you may not have access to it. <laughs> we have a Bloomberg. We'll just trust Austin. We have a Bloomberg subscription. But more Americans are relocating to Europe. Driven across the Atlantic by rising cost of living, inflated house prices, a surging dollar, and political rancor at home. So, like, they're annoyed with politics. Mm-hmm. There's a really strong dollar. Mm-hmm. Inflation's high, but your really strong dollar also goes very far in Europe right now. Some thoughts there. House prices, ridiculously expensive right now. Just talked about as it. As you just talked about. So, a couple of the most popular destinations are Italy, Portugal, Spain, Greece, and France. Mm-hmm. They actually noted... That so Sotheby's is an is a real is a real estate or auction agency. They said requests from Americans looking to move to Greece rose forty percent in the April to June period compared to a year earlier because <laughs> they have a stable government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In France and Italy, U.S. demand is the highest it's been in three years, mm. according to the Knight Frank real estate that, specialist. I mean, it's a bad stat. Three years, two of those years, you can't go anywhere. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just bringing you the news. I got gotcha. you. The gotcha. news. And Americans made up 12% of Sotheby's Italian revenue in the first quarter compared to just 5% one mm. year ago. Retirees have been looking to do that as well. A lot of that is due to, you know, real estate in Europe is relatively cheap, particularly in smaller towns and cities, and remote work is more available. Yeah. So that's something there. One example is that the euro and the dollar have reached parity for the first time since 2002. So $1 equals yep. 1 euro, which means... You could really travel Europe for about 20% less than you could about a year ago. Because it's cheaper. Yeah, than, in relative terms. Yep. Now, they're facing inflation like we are here, so it's all relative. A couple examples. There was an Atlanta-based lady, 40-year-old. She was wanting to buy a home in Italy. It came true because she was paying 3000 a month for a four-bedroom house to rent in Atlanta, and she found it impossible to buy a home that she wanted to do with her $300,000 of cash she had on hand. Yeah. So she turned to Italy, and she was able to buy a 3,100-square-foot house in Musumeli, Sicily. Oh, nice. As well as a smaller home next door and an 800-square-foot storefront for 60,000 euros. And that's at parity. Yeah. So it costs $60,000, roughly. That's crazy. crazy. Another example, Miami-based lady named Kathleen Kirk. Mm -hmm. She ended up buying a three-bedroom, three-story home in Musumeli, the same village as that other lady. Oh, they're friends for 37,000 euros last November. She's planning to retire in a couple years. She is an officer with Homeland Security, and she wanted to move to a country where she could live comfortably on a public pension, and she's able to do that with buying a house yeah, for $37,000. $37, yeah. Woo! Craziness. Cash. So 
anyway, that's just something interesting that's going on right now. All right. I'm going to jump on Zillow. All right. My third and final article is uh, exciting for me. Toys R Us. It's back. It's back. Wait, Uh, Jeffrey the Giraffe. Yes. Jeffrey the Giraffe is back. I love Toys R Us. It's a fun place to go. We would take our kids every year in November-ish time frame. And... They would have those little scan guns like you do for registries, for like oh, wedding yeah. registries or baby registries. But at Toys R Us, you could give it to your kid and they could scan and create their own Christmas list. Pretty and then cool. you could edit it yourself and then send it to family members to help them out. That was always a fun trip for us. Kids loved it. So Toys R Us went bankrupt back in uh, 2018. Yep. Closed all their stores. And so they just announced that they're partnering with Macy's and they're going to have a toy shop in all of their U.S. stores. Wow. That's their goal this year. So they'll feature hands-on demonstrations, uh, little tables to play with stuff, interact with toys, and every place will have a life-size Jeffrey the Giraffe on a bench for photos for yeah. all the nostalgic adults because the kids will be like, why am I taking a picture with this giraffe? It's weird. Mom and dad are like, yeah. do it. It's do Jeffrey. It. I have a picture when I was a kid. <laughs> they announced this back in 2021, and they put some in their big flagships, and they're slowly expanding it right. out. They did note that Macy's toy sales were up 15 times higher than their first quarter compared to before they announced this with... Really? So that seems to help. I've always wondered why we don't have a Macy's here in Finley. Yeah, interesting. Big yeah. enough city. There was one in Lima. Well, don't go to Lima. Yeah. You can go there for Macy's. That's what <laughs> exactly. you said. Exactly. All right. My last article. Strong dollars earnings impact. A strong dollar is likely to negatively impact corporate earnings. So this is from Investopedia. Link yes. in the show notes. So for the first time in 20 years, talked about this a second ago, the U.S. dollar is about parity with the euro, and it's hit a 20-year high against the Japanese yen. It's about one for 100 or so right now. The euro has been under pressure amid concerns that high fuel prices in Europe will push the continent into recession. While a strong dollar can be good for U.S. consumers buying imported goods or traveling to other countries, the strong currency often has a negative impact on corporate earnings. A stronger dollar will make American products more expensive in Europe and Japan, And we've had early warnings from Nike and Microsoft showing the dollar's gain this year will make second quarter sales and profits look weaker than they are for many companies. Tech companies could be especially hit hard since they get most of their sales from outside the U.S. Companies like Apple, Meta Platforms, Facebook, Alphabet, Netflix, all going to be hit by the strong dollar. The dollar index, so this is the dollar compared to a group, a basket of other currencies from around the world, Mm -hmm. it's up about 16% this year, hitting the highest level since 2002. Recently, So, according to Morgan Stanley, that could translate into a fall of about 8% in earnings per share for the S&P 500, just on the movement of the dollar alone. Wow. Crazy. The dollar is also expected to keep gaining strength, at least until the Federal Reserve changes its monetary policy. The aggressive interest rate hikes have added to the dollar's strength, and what this really is caused by is interest rate differential. Mm -hmm. So, our interest rates are now higher than a lot of the world's, so people are flocking to the dollar for higher interest, where that's that's not what they have been able to do for a little bit of a while since we had zero interest for a long time. So here's a quote from the editor-in-chief at Investopedia. As the U.S. dollar remains strong, the currencies of emerging markets are at multi-year lows and the Japanese yen is at a 20-year low. That is making the odds of a global recession more likely. So definitely going to be an impact to earnings season, as we're already seeing. Uh, And as Americans, we think strong dollar very good, and in some ways it is. Your dollar goes very far when you're buying things and not not dollars. However, it does have an impact when you're looking the other way. Great articles. The best ever. I think they were amazing articles to read and or listen to. Now, as a reminder, 
We have the Investopedia second half stock draft of oh, 2022. I'm not winning. You're not even. I'm not. I'm in the middle. Yeah. Although I went from last place to like 10th place. Yeah. And that was pretty good. I was, went from 21 to 10. That's a pretty That's good, good jump. Hey, there you go. But it's not too late for you to enter. And in fact, you enter now, you'll be probably beating us or really close to that. <laughs> so join us. You could go to our website. There's information there on our Facebook page or wherever you can get that. We also did a podcast a little while back on all the information in the rules. So check that out. Join us. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Absolutely. And it's not real money. Yeah. Thank you for being here. We will have another episode out next Thursday. But until then, share this episode with anyone you think would be interested in one of those articles that we were talking about today. And please remember, you can always email us any ideas or questions to hello at theinvesteddads.com. Well, until next Thursday, have a great week. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Invested Dads podcast. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a better financial future doesn't have to. Head over to theinvesteddads.com to access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and we had a positive impact on your life, leave us a review. Click subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Josh Robb and Austin Wilson work for Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Josh, Austin, or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Indices are not available for direct investment. Any investor who attempts to mimic the performance of an index would incur fees and expenses, which would reduce returns. Securities investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment plan or strategy will be successful.